0: grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. So, um, greetings again to you all and welcome to the season of Epiphany. I'm sure by now you've had your Christmas decorations put away. Actually, there's still some in my house because my daughter refuses to let Christmas go until the last possible moment. But you probably have your Christmas decorations put away and you have all of your traditional and festive Epiphany decor Around Jenny, we were going to talk about celebrating this place for, or decorating for Epiphany. What does Epiphany look like? Okay, so last Sunday, what, was, what, what we call Epiphany Sunday. And there are typically three things that we celebrate or commemorate on that day on Epiphany, Epiphany Sunday. The first is the baptism of Jesus um, and the significant role that that plays in our lives. Uh, The second is the Magi, or the wise men that came to visit the child, the young child, Jesus, bringing gifts. And we celebrate the significance that that role plays in our lives. The third thing that we oftentimes celebrate on Epiphany Sunday, along with uh, Jesus' baptism and the Magi visiting Jesus, is Jesus' first miracle in Canaan, him turning water into wine. Uh, So those are some of the things that we look at. Those are some of the things that we study. Those are some of the things we celebrate on those days. Now, the word epiphany comes from a Greek word, epineia, which means appearance or manifestation. Manifestation is just a fancy church word that means to be made seen. Right, The unseen God was made seen, manifested in, in the form of Jesus, something that's revealed. Um, and as it's in the case of those three things that I talked about, something about Jesus was revealed. So when we talk about um, in Jesus' baptism. Right? It's revealed that he is the son of God. That's God's literal words coming out of heaven. This is my only son. This is one I'm well pleased. Right, God's speaking those exact words. Um, in the first miracle that we see, that's Jesus um, as the Messiah, as the Christ. Uh, performing miracles and having power over nature. Um, If we look at the visit of the Magi, then we see uh, the epiphany that the Magi had, the wise men had, um, that Jesus is the Messiah, is the Christ, and came from afar to come and see that and to celebrate that and to worship that. And if you think about those three moments in terms of world history, think about those three moments in terms of world history, um, each of those moments points to Jesus being the Messiah, being the Christ, being the Savior to all who put their trust in him. So back to epiphany for a second. Epiphany in, in some countries, um, Epiphany is, is equally as important as Christmas. Epiphany is as important as Christmas. Some places actually celebrate their, have their Christmas celebration on Epiphany, which is January 6th, by the way, because we got the 12 days of Christmas going through there, right? So my point here is um, the significance of the season, season of Epiphany um, is dramatically overlooked by most of us and, and most of the world. So now in the past, you've heard me um, teaching about the church calendar. How is the church calendar set up? Um, And it's set up, the church calendar is set up in such a way for us to focus on different aspects of Jesus, different aspects of our belief, you know, the things that we believe and why we believe them so that we can celebrate, we can focus on different aspects of Jesus working in our lives and working in the world that we live in. Okay, so the church calendar starts with Advent. That's the four weeks before Christmas. And so we get the end of November. That's why I always say, you know, Happy New Year at the end of November. and makes people think I'm a little crazy, but that's when the church calendar starts. Advent, four weeks. Then we have Christmas, and we call that the Christmas tide, right? Or the 12 days of Christmas, and that song that now you probably can't get out of your head for the rest of the day, right? So the 12 days of Christmas. That brings us technically to January 7th right? That's when we begin the season of Epiphany. And it's a season, it's several weeks. Um, Epiphany goes all the way to Lent, goes all the way to Ash Wednesday. So we celebrate the season that we call Epiphany until Ash Wednesday. So the length is different every year. It depends on when Easter is. Sometimes it's four weeks, sometimes it's up to seven any given year. Okay, so why am I telling you all this, right? All right. So uh, as I said earlier, these seasons that we have in the church calendar give us the opportunity to focus on different aspects of our relationship with God. That's what we should always be doing, focusing on our relationship with God. And these seasons give us the opportunity um, to strengthen our relationship with God. Um, and, uh, so in a, few weeks, a few weeks back, I talked about what we were going to be studying, what we are going to be talking about, what we are going to be learning in the season of Epiphany. And hopefully you re- not only remember what I said, but you're on the edge of your seat, waiting in anticipation for this series to start. Anybody got the answer to this one? The will of God is what we're going to be talking about here. So now, if you've been keeping score at home, hopefully you have, uh, we've been um, leading up to this. Um, I told them at the first service that there's a method to my madness, and they said, no, there no, i yeah. got So we've been looking at several different series. We've been building on each series, again, focusing on our relationship with God and focusing on different aspects of that. So I just want to review really quick where we've been and where we're going. So several months back, we started with a series that we called The Names of God, right? And I quoted verses like, how will they call on him they do not know? God uses his words to describe his different aspects of who he is. So we talked about all the different ways and literally then talked about just praying those names back to God, praying those aspects back to God. So those are his promises. The names of God are his promises laid out for us. So we spent about six weeks on the name of God. And then we talked not only about what God's name is, but we talked about who he calls us. We sang about that on, on that song just a second ago about death is arrested. So we talked about our identity in Christ. What is our identity in Christ? Who does that make us, right? We learn things like that God calls us his masterpiece. My goodness, are you kidding me? This mess of a people we call, we're his masterpiece, right? God thinks very highly of you, right? When he created man, he said, or people, he said, now it's very good, right? Before, yeah, we're good, we're good, we're all good, but now we're very good because now this is my masterpiece walking around on this planet to do my will, to do my desires here on this planet, so then we discovered where now uh, not only our identity, but where are we supposed to use that identity? How does that play out in the world? And then we studied the kingdom of heaven. We had several weeks on a series on the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. It's uh, uh, synonymous um, in different gospels. So then, okay, so that's what we talked about. That's where we've been. Now, through um, Advent and through Christmas, we had another uh, kind of a sub-series called Hope is Here. And then when the kids did their, um, their uh, little pageant up here called Love Came Down, we kind of parenthetically said, well, not, not only is hope is here, but love came down. So now, our focus for our series for this season of Epiphany, even if that's the first time you've heard that, for the season of Epiphany, we're going to be talking about the will of God. And we're going to be talking about how to understand that we're going to be talking about how to walk in that and how to do these things. We're going to be unpacking um, several different aspects of God's will or, or the will of God. I'm going to use those uh, synonymously. But c- because anytime I hear people talking about the will of God, especially Christians, talking about the will of God or God's will, it always comes out in this sentence. What's God's will for my life? Right? What's God's will for my life? And i got a beautiful slide that says that. There it is. What's God's will for my life? Because, you know, before we take the first step in this very complex and and endless process of learning what God's will is and defining God's will, the first step we have to take is we've got to step over ourselves. We've got to get over ourselves. Because if we're completely honest, we'd have to say, and I mean just raw honesty, we're rather selfish people, right? Just being honest. And I know now you're probably thinking honesty is overrated, right? But... We, and we're going to take our time with this series. We're going to take our time with this series. We're going to talk about um, the different aspects of it. But like I said, the first thing is we have to set aside that sentence and just say, get that idea of my life. We've got to understand God's will. And then we have to apply our lives to it in order to receive the things that he's going to be talking about. But I'm getting a little ahead of myself. But in order to understand God's will, God desires. God desires. Um, in order to do that, to understand God's will and to, to get our minds wrapped around it, um, we're going to have to take some huge steps. And I introduced this uh, whole idea on, on um, New Year's Eve, the, our service on New Year's Eve. Uh, the, we talked about a New Year's revolution, right? And I said the biggest thing you're going to have to have in your life is a spiritual revolution. right? We're going to have to have that spiritual re- revolution that we talked about on New Year's Eve. Um, and remember, we defined the word revolution. That's a forceful overthrow over the powers that that be or the powers that are in charge. So we have to change forcibly, if necessary, the one that's in charge of our decision-making process. Not not only change our thoughts, but change um, the commitment that we have and who we're committed to. So now I want to start with some verses. And I want to talk about uh, some of the stuff. I'm going to break down some of the stuff that Ellen read for us. Um, earlier from Romans. But full disclosure and transparency here, I had a really hard time deciding what translation, what English translation I wanted to use, because I want to get the right words in our heads, and I want to get the, ri- the right ideas in our heads. And uh, I say it all the time, when you're trying to translate one language to another, it's not an easy process, especially a, a complex language like Kone Greek, which the New Testament was written in, translating that to English. we got to use a lot more words than what we see on the piece of paper to get a better understanding, a full understanding, a full grasp of what it is that we're looking at. So I want to go to Romans 12, um, verses 1 and 2. Um, now this is Paul talking um, to the... He wrote a letter to the Romans. didn't actually set up that church in Rome, but he wrote a letter to the Romans to describe who God is and how we should play that out, what, how that should play out in our lives. So he spends about the first uh, 11 chapters talking about the mercies that God gives us, all the things that God does in our lives, all the things that God does in the world for us. And then now he starts talking about what our reaction should be. So he starts with the word therefore, right? And I always say it, when you see the word therefore in the Bible, stop and see what it's therefore, all right? So what is therefore? Therefore, right? He says I urge you. Sometimes it says I beseech you, brothers and sisters, In view of God's mercy, that's referring back to the last 11 chapters. In view of God's mercy, the things that God has done for us, the things that God God sets up for us. Now he says this, this is your command. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. I'm going to go on to verse 2, then we're going to back up and break some of this down. Then he says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. Very important. This is why he picked this particular translation, the way he says that. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then the promise. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, pleasing. And perfect will. Now, if we read through Romans 12, we might just read some of that stuff and just gloss over the top of it and say, Yeah, what happens in verse 3 now and verse 4? And, man, i got to get to lunch here pretty quick. I'm just going to stop here and, and move on. But when we stop and we start to actually look at these words and take those beautiful gems out of them and start turning them around in our hands, God has some amazing things that he's trying to tell us. Some amazing things that he's trying to tell us. And some amazing things that he promises us. And it's all laid out here. If one wants to know what God's will is, it starts with you. It starts with you. And I've got a three-step process that we're going to look at this morning. How to get to understand God's will. What does it say? Test and approve. We're going to talk about that too. Not this morning, but we're going to talk about that too. But here's what it starts with. To know God's will perfectly. It, knows, it starts with this. It starts with a commitment. right? It starts with a commitment. And I'm talking about the kind of commitment... That, that Lombardi used to talk about with his Packers, right, with those champions. Can you toss that up there, Braden, the, the commitment slide? Uh, the one that Lombardi used to talk about with his Packer champions. Total commitment to excellence, right? Unwavering kind of commitment. As I said a moment ago a couple of times, Paul spent 11 chapters in Romans laying out the mercies of God, right? And that should lead us to this conclusion, Right? He says, says, present or offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Um, That that phrase, um, um, your bodies, right? Offer your bodies um, stands for everything that you are. It's not just your physical body, right? Because that's what we think about and that's where we go to and think, oh, if I'm doing something wrong, no, it's not like that. Everything that you are, commit your ways to God, right? Everything that you are, um, everything you think, do, and say, Jesus said it differently. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? A total commitment. That is true and proper, right? That's the true and proper. That's, um, that's the only way that this is going to get accomplished, right? That is, we've got to revolt against, against the world. Again, and I struggle with the translation here, but true and proper, a, bre- a better translation of that would be, um, would be reasonable, like, it's the only logical conclusion that you can come to. What God has done for us, the only logical conclusion for us would be for us to commit everything to him. Every thought, word, and deed. All our heart, all our soul, all our strength, all of our mind. What God has done for us, right? He expects a total commitment of excellence from us to him. Again, the only logical conclusion that we can come to. The only way that we're going to be able to understand, to discern, to um, determine, recognize, perceive, understand God's will is to have a total commitment to who he is and what he does in our lives. So that's the first step, the will of God. God's will for your life is, is a commitment. The second step is, is, I'm using the word conform here. And yes, I under, I'm fully aware that it says do not conform to the patterns of this world, Right? Um, The Phillips translation says, see, this is where I want to go with this. And I want us to get a complete understanding of what God is saying here and and how it works in our lives. Um, The Phillips um, translation says, don't let this world squeeze you into its mold. Don't let this world squeeze you into its mold. So if we were in our youth group right now, I would pass out a 3 by 5 card and I would say, all right, I want you to list the ways that you're conforming to this world. And, you know, we'll talk about that a little bit more, but we'll get the idea. And I want you to list the ways that you choose the world over choosing God. That's what it means to conform to the world, conforming to the pattern of this world. But it says, um, can we get that back up there, that Romans 12, 2? Do not conform to the pattern of this world. Right? Do not conform to the pattern of this world. So this is, um, do not conform is is an active verb meaning, actually, it's in the middle voice in the Greek. We don't really have a, an equivalent to that in the English language. But at any rate, it means this. It means you are choosing to do this action. It means that you are choosing to conform to this world, to be more like this world. You are conforming to the ways of the world, so stop it, is what it really should say. You are doing it to yourself. And the world here, same as, as our bodies meant everything about us, That's what the world means here. It means everything about it. It means uh, the society. It means uh, the system, um, the ideas that we've put together as people, the ideas that we put together so that we can be happy without God in the mix, right? Keep God over here, keep my life over here. That's the conforming to this world, right? That's the decision that we make on a regular basis. That's the decision maker that we've got to have a revolution against. And say, I'm not choosing that anymore, and I'm not putting you in charge anymore. I'm putting somebody else in charge that's going to start choosing some of these things over on this side. It doesn't happen all at once sometimes, but it, it's, a, it, it's a process. Right? Right? So that's what I'm talking about. I, I'll ask you again, how are you conforming to this world? Literally becoming uh, a shape changer so that not only you fit into this world better, but you blend in better. Right? No mis- make no mistake about it. You conform to this world. Right, Changing shape to look like something else. Conforming to this world, to this age is another translation of that word. Because when we're completely, again, honest with ourselves and with each other, when we conform, it's more comfortable. When we conform to this over here, it's just more comfortable. It's just easier to get along and get around. But conforming yourself, shape-changing yourself... Squeezing yourself into the mold of this world, into this age, is not the way to become familiar with the will of God. That's not the answer. I wish I knew God's will. Just come back over to this side and start working over here. So, commitment, conform. And the last one is this, and this is where the magic happens. This is I'm using the word convert here. Or as we're commanded, um, and directed, and instructed, and yes, these are commands. You know, when we talk about God's commandments, we think about the tablets that Moses brought down that we got on a stained glass over there, right? That's all the, you no. Know, God gives us these ideas. He gives us these commands for our own good. Say, oh, the Bible's full of a bunch of rules. No, it's full of a bunch of really good ideas that we should start following. And when we start looking at it like that, and we start bringing some of these into our life, things start changing. So to be converted, right? Uh, or as we're commanded, look at uh, Romans 12, 2. It says this. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, in order to understand this, we've got to go back to English class for just a second. The word transformed is a passive verb which means the action is being done to you. God does the transforming here. That's why it's written in this order. Stop doing this so that I can do this. Stop conforming yourself to the world, shape-changing to try to fit into the world and squeeze into its mold and start letting me transform you. The trick here is that you have to allow that conversion into your life. And that happens first by changing the way you think. Renewing of your mind, thinking differently, that revolution that happens in our head, that transformation that God does for us, in us, to us. But if you're so busy wrapped up in yourself in the shiny beads of the world, then you got to start negotiating with yourself. you got to figure this out. you got to sit down and have a good old-fashioned intervention with yourself. And if necessary, form a coup, a revolution, an overthrow of that part of you that are making those decisions in your life, that part of you that's choosing the world and trying to keep God and his will for your life out in the cold. It doesn't make any sense, and yet that's what we do on a daily, daily basis. So we need to, like I said on New Year's Eve, we need to revolt until we have the kind of leadership in ourselves, in our decision-making process that commits, that pledges, dedicates our bodies, as it says in 12.1, commits our heart, soul, mind, strength to God's purpose and to God's plan. That's what we're going to focus on. And it comes from this internal revolution that won't accept focusing on anything less or anything else. A life that focuses on on learning, perceiving, recognizing God's will by following those steps that Paul lays out for us in those first two verses in Romans chapter 12. list them one more time here and then I'm going to give you the money verse, the promise that God gives to us. So first of all, we want to have a committed being or a committed self or a committed life, committed to who God is, conform our life to His, a conformed life to His. And then that converted mind, that new way, different way of thinking, converted mind. And I'm going to leave you with one of the boldest promises in the Bible. God makes some amazing promises in the Bible. And the youth group, we talk about them all the time. This one should absolutely blow your minds. That this is actually within our grasp. God says, take these steps. And then I, he says, you will be able to know the will of God. What is good and what is pleasing to him. And what is perfect. We've started with the basic building blocks working our way to this moment so that we can understand, we can know the will of God. It's a process, and it's up to us. It's up to each of us individually to get that will in our lives. It starts with that commitment. It starts with overthrowing that part of our mind that are making those decisions that have led us to where we are. Let's get somebody else in control. Let's let God renew our minds, change the way we think so that we can start thinking like him. What did uh, Ellen read up here a moment ago? My thoughts are not your thoughts. Translation, you don't think the way I do, God says. Start thinking the way I do. Start having the same priorities that I do for you because you are my masterpiece. Amen? Amen? Stand with me, please. Let's pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, again, I thank you for bringing us together this morning to hear.